would, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Joel, and then turn to the last chapter in that book, Joel chapter 3. I want to talk to you today about final forgiveness. Uh, we're going to cover the, the chapter in its entirety, but before we're done today, I want us to look at the, the scope of the book of Joel. Now, I want to remind you that this was a prophetic book, and it's written from a prophet's perspective. We can go back to the first verse, and it says, The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. So we know this is God's word. We know this is spoken through the prophet. We know it's spoken to the children of Israel. We know the audience, the original audience. Remember, God's word never says something to you that it didn't say to the original audience. It may be through a different context that you have that you can make application, but we can't pluck something out of Scripture and say, well, this is separate from what it said to the original audience. So God's speaking to the people in Joel's day and telling them what's going on in their, in their world and, and uh, all the different stuff that's happening, and, and they're trying to make sense of it. It kind of reminds me of today. Uh, they're, they're seeing all kind of brokenness and tragedy. And remember in chapter 1, we see that the locusts have come and eaten everything up, and they don't have anything. They don't, even, they, they don't have seeds for the next year's anything. There's nothing. And so the people are hopeless, and they're kind of freaked out a little bit. And so this, this word from the prophet comes to them, and I think we can relate to that. Sometimes we look at the situation in our world, and we may, we may have a tendency to feel hopeless. Um, you know, Maybe you went to a doctor and didn't get what you wanted to get, didn't hear the word that you wanted to hear, the report that you wanted to hear. Uh, maybe there's something going, going on financially or something going on relationally or something with your work or, or family relationships outside of your home. I, I don't know what it is that you may be specifically going through. Maybe you just need to quit watching CNN and Fox News for a few weeks and just see how that does. You know, maybe, maybe get off the Twitter or the Facebook or Instasham and just take a little break from that and see how you feel. But I know that we have a tendency sometimes to feel like there's nothing that's going to turn this thing around. It's, it's, we're just hopeless and helpless and there's nothing that's going to happen but bad. That would be where Israel was when the locusts got through with what they had to do. And so God writes this book. He sends this prophet to preach this message. And so before we finish today, I want us to look at chapter 3. But before we finish, I want us to look at the scope of the entire message to Israel. And I want us to see what we can kind of glean from that, okay? I'm kind of laying my cards on the table so you guys know what my intention is here today. I want us to look at the scope of the book. I want us to see what God's message was for Israel in the original context. And then I want us to try to figure out what we can glean from that for our context today, okay? If you're with me on that, say amen. amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we need you to speak today. We don't need to hear from me. God, by your sword, through your spirit, and your servant, I pray that you would speak your truth, and I pray you would call us to a reckoning, call us to repentance, call us to righteousness. God, move among us today so that we'll be closer followers of Jesus when we leave. Lord, if there's anyone here today without Christ, I pray that you would break them. I pray that you would crush them, and I pray that you would draw them to your side. Restore as only you can. King Jesus, be lifted up and exalted. Holy Spirit, move and have your way. And God, be glorified. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing I want us to look at, in the first 16 verses of chapter 3, we see God's punishment of outsiders. He begins with a punishment of outsiders. Now again, he's going to turn his attention to Israel before we're done. But right now, he's, he's going to basically say, okay, the gloves are off, boys. You guys have been messing with my people, and now I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. So look at verse 1. He says, In those days at that time I'll restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. And at that time, here's what he's saying. 
Jerusalem, Israel, y'all are going to be okay. What he would say to us today is, church, you're going to be okay. Those of us under the blood of Christ, you're going to be okay. But then verse 2, he says, But I'll gather the nations and take them to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there. Because of my people, my inheritance Israel, the nations have scattered the Israelites in foreign countries and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people. They bartered a boy for a prostitute and sold a girl for wine to drink. Now look at this. They took a young boy and traded that boy's life like a slave in order to have time with a prostitute. And then they took a young girl and they traded her life as a slave for, for liquor, for, for alcohol, so they could get drunk. That's the level of depravity that they're dealing with. By the way, you can think our world is more depraved than it's ever been. No, we're just able to see it better than we ever have. Human depravity can go no deeper than what it already has gone. Look, they cast lots for people. They bartered for a boy, uh, a boy for a prostitute. They sold a girl for a drink. These are some heinous, terrible people. They just didn't have social media. If Joel hadn't have told it, there'd have been a small little clutch of people that knew what was going on. We just see it. We, and by the way, people nowadays are less concerned about their depravity. They're less embarrassed by their depravity. Uh, we got people that have put their depravity on, on full view for everybody. They don't have any problem with it. So we see there that the people of God are being punished by these outside people. Now, what you need to know is that there are times in Scripture where you see outside forces, you see pagan kings, pagan warriors, pagan armies come in and bring the punishment of God upon God's people. Sometimes those pagan armies, those evil armies are actually being used by God. It's like they're, they're the paddle that God uses to whip his people, to punish his people, to get them to understand the wrong that they've done so they'll repent. That's not exactly what we see going on here. God is telling them, hey, you guys have taken it on your own to come against my people and I'm not going to stand for it. Uh, historian John Trapp writes about the uh, 10 of the Roman emperors that persecuted the Christian church uh, in the early days of the church, early New Testament church. And I'm not going to give you all 10 of them, but just suffice it to say, none of them had a good time on their exit, okay? Let me give you just a few of them. Nero was forced to kill himself by the Roman senators. Domitian was butchered by his own soldiers. Trajan died of a nasty disease. Severus died miserably on a military campaign in Britain. And Valerian was whipped to death as a captive of the king of Persia. And again, that's just a handful. The other ones had nothing even nothing any better than what these had for their end. So verses 2 and 3 are telling us that God is going to judge those nations who have wronged his people. You can't live like you want to live and be sinful and, and, and take shots at the church, take shots at Israel in this case, and not have God come down on you. Uh, the other thing I want us to notice, and I'm, by the way, I'm not one of these that because somebody has declared it's fill-in-the-blank Sunday that every preacher in the country ought to preach on that topic, I don't know. I, I just I don't, I don't like that. I feel like God's called me to be your pastor. Y'all have voted for me to be your pastor, most of you. And, uh, and so here I am, and my job is not to look at the calendar that somebody else puts out and says this is the topic for that Sunday. My job is to say, okay, Lord, I want to be obedient. That's why if you have a note sheet today, mark out 19 and put 26. It'll be okay. God moved my plan too. I didn't want to preach this this Sunday. I want to preach it last Sunday. And God said no. So I don't preach on whatever fill-in-the-blank topic it is for that nationwide campaign. However, this is speaking to the sanctity of human life. We just had that Sunday a few weeks ago. I don't want to just skip over this. God is concerned about human life. God values human life. 
no better place do we see it than here. The, the psalmist said that God knit us together in our mother's womb. He knew us before we were a thing. Before you were a, 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 an egg and a sperm, God knew you. God had, God had plans for you. God had a design for your life. He had counted out the number of your days before you were ever born. I'm not worried about when the heartbeat happens or when, when this and that and the other. I value all human life. You know why? Because God values all human life. From the womb to the tomb, God values human life, and we should too. God is a protector of the innocent and the powerless, so it should come as no surprise that he expects us, the church, to join him in that work. Church, we need to stand for the sanctity of human life. At the moment of conception, that is a human life, and it has just as much value as any other human life. Until the person draws their last breath upon the dictate of God Almighty, they are valuable. I don't care about their mental acuity. I don't care about their physical infirmities. What I care about is that God in heaven has given value to all human life, and I'm going to support him in that endeavor. Verses 4 through 7, he calls out a specific people. He calls out the Philistines. And he says, hey, you guys have been doing some nasty stuff, and I'm done with it. He, he, he calls them out for, for stealing the temple treasures, for selling his people to the Greeks as slaves. And then in verse 8, he promises to pay them back in kind. Man, listen, you want to get on a scary side of something? Get on the side where you've done bad things and God is going to pay you back in kind for the bad things that you have done. Listen to verse 8. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah and they will sell them to the Sabians. Or these are the, the Arabs from Sheba. To a distant nation for the Lord has spoken. So God is telling them this is what you've done and this is what you're going to get. And then, then in, in verses 9 through 11, this really awesome passage here. I love this. We're going to camp out here for just a minute. He tells them there's a holy war coming and they need to get ready. But he doesn't just call the soldiers, he calls the farmers. We should not be surprised by this because God does all kinds of things that don't, that don't make sense on our level. On our, with our little finite brains, we can't comprehend and understand all that God is doing. So it's not unusual for God to do something and us to go, huh? And this is what I did when I read this. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why are you calling the farmers? You've got warriors. By the way, we're, we're, if you're reading, and I hope you're reading the Bible with us. Listen, everybody look at me. If you're on the Bible reading plan, we can make it through Leviticus and Numbers, I promise. Just hold, listen, we're going to bind together under the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to make it through Leviticus and Numbers. we got Leviticus behind us if, you, if you're keeping up. We're going to make it through Numbers. What's the point of Numbers? God counting out his army. Hey, and it's a big one. It's a good one. So why would this big army of God, why would this army of Israel have to use farmers? I'm glad you asked. Rather than letting them be satisfied with others fighting for them, he wants them to get their hands dirty. Now here, here I'm, let me just kind of extrapolate a little bit from that premise, okay? He, we, there's no doubt he's calling the farmers to be ready for this holy war. He's telling them to hammer out your, your farming implements into fighting instruments. What if he is calling you as, well, I, I'm, just a, I'm just a Christian, I, I'm not a minister. Maybe he's calling you to study the Bible like the pastor does. Listen to me, in, in modern time we have no excuse why we don't understand the Bible. There's 
15 or 20 really good, solid translations. ESV, NASB, HCSB, CSB, uh, NLT, NIV, uh, New King James, King James. There's a lot of really good. The, the Amplified Bible is a college professor in, on pages. It really is. It's a seminary professor on pages. It'll give you all kind of good stuff if you're willing to put in the work. For, for less than $100, you can go out and buy one. You can go buy Warren Wearsby's commentary, and you can learn and study. You just have to want to do it. I love what Rick Burgess says. Uh, he used to say, I, I don't know the Bible. Then he said he realized that he knew a lot of stuff about things that he was interested in. You want to know about hunting and fishing and football and all that? He knew all about it. And what you've got to figure out is, do I love Jesus enough to get interested in the things that he wants to teach me? You have no excuse today to walk around being an ignorant Christian who just wants to get in by the skin of their teeth. And can I tell you, I, once, I was once that guy. I don't want a man. This is something I actually said. I don't want a mansion. I want to sleep on a park bench in heaven. That's the most ignorant thing that somebody could say. Why? Because I want a mansion. You know why? Because if I get a mansion, that means I have served the Lord well and I have heard my well done, and that's what Jesus deserves from me. Some of y'all are trying to get into heaven on your mama's and your granny's coattail. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you today, you better repent of that mess, or you're gonna find yourself right here on the opposite side of God like the Philistines were. You better make sure that you are doing all that you can to live a life of complete obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ because that's what he demands and it's what he deserves. So he's calling these people to action. He's saying, hey, farmers, quit, get your hands out of the dirt and get ready to get your hands in the blood. The battle is coming and you're going to get on the front lines. And I'm telling you, church, I believe God is speaking that to us today. Church, Stop being complacent and not knowing anything about the scriptures. And all you say is, well, you know, I just go to church. How do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I just go to church. How are you going to survive the bad things? Well, you know, I just go to church. That's a terrible answer. Go to church, but get in the Word. Go to church, but get on your knees in prayer. Be filled with the Spirit and be useful to the Master. Listen to how the, the Message Bible is another one. And it's not, I wouldn't say the Message is a good study resource, but it's a good aid when you're reading and studying in a, in a, in a deeper translation, a word-for-word -word translation. Sometimes you can read the Message and it just makes it kind of pop. That's what it did for me, so I'm going to share it with you. Joel 3, 9 through 11, from the Message. Announce this to the godless nations, prepare for battle. Soldiers at attention, present arms, advance. I love this. Turn your shovels into swords. Turn your hoes into spears. Let the weak one throw out his chest and say, I'm tough. I'm a fighter. Hurry up. Wherever you are, get a move on. Get your act together. Prepare to be shattered by God. Listen to how the CSB says it. Beat your plows into swords and your pruning knives into spears. Let even the weaklings say, I am a warrior. This would be like today, God calling the spiritual babies of the faith to allow the Spirit to grow them into warriors for the faith and to use, to use them accordingly. Some of you have been resting on I'm brand new for too long. Hey, some of y'all are moldy. You ain't brand new Christians anymore. You got mold on you. You got, an, you got an inch of dust on you because you won't put your life into the hands of the Lord to use you. And I'm tired of hearing these wimpy excuses. You know why the church is losing ground? It's not because we've lost ground. It's because we've given it away. We fail to study. We fail to prepare ourselves. We fail to serve the Lord in the way He deserves to be served. And then we complain about how dark the world is around us. I want you to listen to me this morning. I, 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 listen. I'm not trying to be mean. I, I promise you, this is 
This is from a heart of love, I promise you. If you're tired of the darkness, start being the light. Don't stand in the dark and curse the darkness. Start being the light. There's two other Old Testament verses that mention this idea and talk about the peace that can only come from all-out victory. Listen to, listen to the, 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 the reversal here, okay? Isaiah 2.4 and Micah 4.3. We got those up there? All right, if you will, if you've got your Bible, if you're a right-in-the-Bible-study kind of person like I am, out beside verse 10, jot these down, because I want you to see the flip that God does. Watch this. Both of these verses are the same. You can read either one of them. He will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. Listen to this. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Do you see the reversal? Nation will not take up sword against nation. They will never again train for war. When is that going to happen? When God sets all things right. But until then, (laughs) until then, farmer, put your shovel down and pick up a weapon. I hate to go uh, a few good men on you, but grab a gun, stand a post. (laughs) Stop letting other people do it for you. Well, I don't need to come against the enemy. That's the preacher's job. No, it ain't. No, my my job is not to come against the enemy for you. I I got all I can deal with putting up with Kev. Kev is a handful, y'all. He takes all I got time to do. You have to stand up for yourself. You need to learn and study the word for yourself. Alexander the Great had this great quote, and we're going to talk about it more deeply later. But he said, I'm not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep. I'm afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. What do you want to be? You want to be a sheep or a lion? That's not your choice. We'll get back to that later. So verses 12 and 13, he tells them he's going to bring them to this valley of Jehoshaphat, or the valley of the, the literal translation of Jehoshaphat is Yahweh will judge. So he's saying, I'm going to bring you to this valley where Yahweh will judge. It's, it's called here a valley of decision. And, and I, I want to make sure we understand the valley of decision is not the valley of your decision. It's the valley of his decision. See, the decision-making time will be passed by the time you're in the valley. When you're in the valley, it's God's God's decision, not your decision that's going to matter. It says he will sit down and judge. For there I will sit down to judge all the surrounding nations. Why is he sitting down? Because the work's done. See, you don't see anybody sitting in Scripture until the work is finished. The priest would stand until everything was done, and then the priest would be seated. God is sitting down to judge because everything else is done. Everything else is over. And he uses these words like swing the sickle, trample the grapes. What that basically means is that when God's punishment of outsiders comes, it will not be pretty. Where are you going to be? So not only will there be punishment of outsiders, there will also be the preservation of Israel. Now, your Bible may have this delineated with uh, 1 through 16 and then a break and then 17 through 21. Uh, Just let me offer this for you. I believe 16 is a transitory verse. I believe it is a verse that we use to see the pivot between 1 through 15 and 17 through 21. Let me read it for you. So so, so let let me back up. So, so it says, in this valley of decision, the day of the Lord is near. The sun and moon will grow dark. The stars will cease their shining. Hey, it's going to be black as a midnight under a skillet. It's going to be as dark as the inside of a cow when this day comes. And, and let me tell you something. Has anybody ever been scared of a loud noise? You ever had a loud noise just scare you real bad? 
is it worse in the daylight or the dark? Dark. I can hear a loud noise in the daytime. I'm like, oh, man, what was that? And I get to looking around. I was 14 years old. I think I'd broken my wrist playing football. I got tackled and I put my arm back and snapped my wrist, um, put it in a cast. And so I got this cast on and my idiot buddies, it was probably a girl, t- t- convinced me to go to this haunted house in Florella. Now, on the corner of the street, right in front of the city, the middle school, is this house, and it was an old dilapidated house, and uh, the city bought it, and they made it up into a spook house, scary house. And so they had blacked out everything in there, and they had all these little scary things pop out, and all these you know, just crazy stuff. And so they taught me to go, so here I am, one arm Willie in there, I got, you know, got my arm in a sling, and I'm walking through, and it is, I'm talking about dark 30, I can't see anything. And like you walk in and this somebody pops out of a little window with a chainsaw and scares you to death. And then somebody else jumps out and grabs you and scares you. And I'm walking through and I get to this one hallway. And the, you know what a truck horn sounds like, like a big rig truck horn? They must have had that thing right here. It was so loud. And it's pitch black. And I'm walking and I'm feeling the walls and trying to see. And I don't know where my buddies are. They're gone. I feel like I'm the only one in the whole house. I'm, I'm already like just on the edge. About that time and it's right in my ear and y'all it scared me so bad and I just took off running just digging and ran right into a wall and it I smacked that wall I hit the ground and I, I just digging just clawing trying to get back up and I run out of the back of the spook house and I get outside and I'm like <sighs> and then I realize that my wrist is doing that now I broke the cast they don't want you to do that just by the way if you ever have a wrist and an arm in a cast they don't want you to do that Why did I do that? Because it was pitch black and I hear this loud, terrible noise and it scared me to death. I want you to know that when we get to this point, that's how it's going to be. The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will cease their shining. It's not going to be inside of a scary house. It's going to be everywhere. Everywhere will be dark. And then you're going to hear the loudest noise you've ever heard. And here's what that noise will be. Verse 16, the Lord will roar from Zion. And make his voice heard from Jerusalem. Heaven and earth will shake. And then I love this, but. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the Israelites. Then it, that's, that's the transition. You see the pivot? We've pivoted now. We've transitioned to the, the preservation of Israel. Then you will know, verse 17, that I am the Lord your God. He says the Lord will roar from Zion, make his voice heard from Jerusalem, but he will still be a refuge as the world, the universe shakes. He will still be a refuge for his people. Here's another great example from the Old Testament of God being full of mercy and grace, even in the midst of his judgment and power. Their sinful behavior had brought about this prophetic warning, and it brought about the fury of the locusts in chapter 1. And yet he tells them when everything goes down... He will still be there to protect them. The, the, the remnant of Israel is spoken of often through Scripture. Uh, listen to the, you can check me on this later. But you'll find him speaking of the remnant of Israel in Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Zechariah, Amos, Daniel, Revelation, and Galatians. And I may have more, but at least those ten I know I found, found places where it references the remnant of Israel. Look at what Paul says in Romans 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, 
And true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart. It's by the Spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. Is there a covenant with Abraham to to circumcise the, the young boys on the eighth day? Yes. But what makes you a Jew is an inward circumcision, a circumcision of the heart. That that outward circumcision is a sign of an inward commitment that you have made to the Lord God. Now, I want to read this. I only have one of the verses in your notes, but I'll give you the other one. Uh, in, in Galatians chapter 6, I've got 16 there. Back up to 15. Galatians 6, 15 and 16. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. Why? Because of this, what matters instead is a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. So this circumcision or uncircumcision is nothing. Remember, we talked about it last week, that they were baptizing these men who had not been circumcised. Uh, or We talked about it in Acts 10. That's okay. Why? Because they had been circumcised in the heart. Their hearts had been changed. Verse 16, <clears throat> May peace come to all those who follow this standard and mercy even to the Israel of God. Even to the Israel of God. I have heard that verse misused multiple times in my short life. Israel is not supplanted by the church. We are not the new Israel and there's no more Israel. God has still got a covenant with Israel, but it's going to be the true Israel. Paul uses this phrase, the Israel of God, to refer to the remnant of Jews that have put their faith in Jesus. Not saying that we have somehow supplanted or replaced them, but God is making a way for there to be a remnant of the people of God Israel to come into the presence of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The old covenant was the only way you could get to God without Jesus. And it actually, the, the entirety of the old covenant pointed you to the new covenant of Jesus. We see it in Jeremiah. We see it in Ezekiel. This new covenant is coming. And now that there's a new covenant, there's not a new Israel. There's just the children of God under the blood of Jesus. And that's us. So there's a remnant that he talks about. This, this whole concept of what Joel is doing is really preparing Israel to be the remnant. They said, hey, some of you are not going to get it. Some of you are never going to let go. But for those of you that realize and recognize, I'm going to be your refuge, the refuge that you get to through the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's a good spot. Let's look at the scope of the message across all three chapters of Joel. Joel 1, 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. And by the way, again, that's elders as in older people, older men. In other words, get all the older people in that have all the experience and, and let them hear what's going on. And he says, listen, all you inhabitants of the land, has anything like this ever happened in your days or in days of your ancestors? In other words, it's as bad as it's ever been. It's worse than it's ever been. Pay attention. Then look at verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, blow the ram's horn, the shafar. Blow the horn in Zion so everybody knows that it's about to be on like Donkey Kong. Blow the ram's horn in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the residents of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, it is near. A day of, we just read this, darkness and gloom of clouds and total darkness. Like the dawn spreading over the mountains, a great and strong people appears. Mostly early on talking about the Assyrians, but later speaking of the actual day of the Lord. Such as never existed in ages past and never again will all 
in all the generations to come. We see the scope. Get the elders together and talk about how bad it is. It's worse than ever. Now, get ready for battle. Here comes a, a battle is coming, and we better be prepared. We get to chapter 3, and he's telling them, hammer out your, your farming implements into fighting instruments. Let's get ready for the holy war. And then we get to the very last of it, and look at the beauty of this. I love this, this, like, this statement that God makes here. Look at verses 20 and 21 of chapter 3. Here's another one of those pivot words. I, I love these. B-U-T is a small little three-letter conjunction, but it's a beautiful picture of seeing God step in and change the scope. But Judah. Now, he's just talked about all the bad stuff's going to happen. Uh, the mountains will drip with sweet wine. The hills will flow with milk. The streams will flow with water. Egypt will be desolate. Edom, a wasteland because of the violence done to the people of Judah. Verse 20, chapter 3. But Judah will be inhabited forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation. Here's God's promise. I will pardon their blood guilt. In other words, I will avenge their blood. I will pardon their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Joel opens by pointing to the calamity of the present. Then he points to the calamity to come. <laughs> But then he closes with God's promise of forgiveness to the remnant of Israel. What a picture of God's grace. The message to us that we could say maybe kind of correlates or corresponds to the message to Israel in Joel 3 is found in Matthew 25. It's part of what's called the Olivet Discourse where Jesus is kind of giving a treatise about all that's going to happen. He's teaching about the end times and lays out the days of judgment or the day of judgment. In Matthew 25, 31 through 46, I'm not going to read that whole passage, but just kind of skim along there with me, if you will. He says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I want you to hear me this morning. There are no participation trophies on the Day of Judgment. You are a winner or you are a loser. You are a sheep or you are a goat. There's no middle ground. There's no opportunity for you to say, well, I, di I didn't know. I, I would have I served Jesus if I had known. No, he's let you know. And the decision-making time will have been passed. Now is the day of God's judgment. And listen to what he says. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king... Man, I get, I get choked up every time I read this because I know people in my life right now that are going to be on the goat side. I know I'm going to be on the sheep side. But it hurts my heart to think about some people that I know and love that won't be on the right. They'll be on the left. He'll put the sheep on his right, the goats on the left, and then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Skip ahead a little bit. It says, Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And verse 46 says, And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Just as there will be a remnant of Israel that will be saved, there will be a remnant of the rest of us who are saved. 
And you may be sitting there going, Rem- I don't think we're a remnant, preacher. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Few, as in a remnant, a small amount. I want to go back to the quote by Alexander the Great. I want to remind you really quickly, though, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Starting with verse 11, he says, For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That's why there's going to be a remnant at all. He made a promise, and he's going to keep it. You know why? Because he's a promise keeper. So let's go back to that quote. I'm not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep. I'm afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. I'm fairly confident in saying that Alexander the Great really didn't know exactly all that he was saying when he came up with that quote. He probably meant, I'm not afraid of an army of great men with a terrible leader. I'm afraid of an army of any man with a great leader. But the way he worded it in the context of our understanding of Scripture gives it a much deeper, more powerful, more impactful meaning. I'm not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep. I'm afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. In this passage in Matthew 25, he says he's going to separate sheep from goats. You can only be a sheep if you belong to the great shepherd. And you can only be in his flock if you're led by the line of Judah. If you profess Christ, you can say with David, the psalmist in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. By the way, there's, depending on what translation you use, 15 to 18 personal pronouns used in those six verses in Psalm 23. You cannot say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, unless you have come under the lordship of Christ and are covered in his blood. And then and only then can you be a sheep of his pasture. And only then and can you say that God is my great shepherd. Otherwise, you're just a goat. You may even be a wolf in sheep's clothing, but you're still a goat. Psalm 100 there's one verse that I, verse 3 is what really caught my eye, but I want to give you the whole psalm because I, just, I think this really speaks to what it means to be a sheep of his pasture. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. My prayer today is that you are all sheep of his pasture. My prayer today is that everyone under the sound of my voice, watching at home, listening to the podcast later this week, are sitting here today, that every one of you have surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and you're obediently following him with everything that you have in you so that one day when God separates sheep and goats, you'll be on the right side and not the left side.
you'll be on the flock of goats, a flock of sheep that belong to him and not the goats that are sent off into eternity without him. I pray that you're ready for his return. I pray that you're not only ready for his return, but I pray that you're ready to serve him gladly every day he gives you from now until then. But the only way to do that is to submit to the Lordship of Christ. Have you done that? Would you stand with me this morning? Worship team is going to come and lead us in another song. Every time we get into this book, I, I tell people, I feel like when you open the Bible, people need a, an opportunity to respond to what God says through his word. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you need to repent of your sins and come under the lordship of Christ. If you're here today and you say, well, I made that decision, I made a profession, I got a baptismal certificate or a, I shook somebody's hand, I said a few words in a canned prayer, but I'm not living submitted to Christ Please don't walk out of here with a false sense of security. Please don't walk out of here thinking you can live like hell and get into heaven. Don't walk out of here thinking you can live like the devil and claim to belong to the Lord. You need to repent of your sins and put your life in the hands of Jesus and repent completely and submit completely to Him. This time of decision is for whatever God has prompted you to do. If you have some problem with somebody here, you need to go make it right. If there's unforgiveness in your heart, you need to let it go. Whatever it is, you have one opportunity to be instantly obedient. I'm going to say a short prayer. When I say amen, you need somebody to pray for you. You need to come up here and profess Christ. You move. Don't wait. Don't look around. Don't be gutless. Don't be a chicken and sit there and say, I'm not going to go unless somebody else goes. That's not how sheep of his pasture act. You submit, you be obedient, and let the Lord be glorified. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the word and the conviction therein. God, I thank you for the fact that it cuts me every time I handle it. It helps me examine myself and know that I still have places in my life that I need to submit to you. God, if there's anyone here that needs Christ, I pray they would have the boldness to come today and tell everybody that they want to be under his blood, that they want to submit to him and become a sheep of your pasture. God, whatever other things you want to do in this time of invitation, you do that because you're the Lord and I'm not. Holy Spirit, move in this place and we'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen.